You're listening to Culture Rich. Culture Rich. Welcome. I'm Christina Michelle, inviting you to join me for Culture Rich Conversations, an ongoing feature of Juno Afternoon. Coming up today is a discussion on hot topics in the Black culture, and I'm joined by my guest, Al Wilson, aka Boogie from Harlem, New York, new to Alaska and having a Black lived experience right here in Juno. Our topics will include Beyonce's Renaissance Tour, the 50th anniversary of hip hop, and so much more. From KTOO and Juno, this is Culture Rich Conversations. Culture Rich. Culture Rich Conversations is underwritten by Mark Stofa and Sarah Hannon. Celebrating Juno's diversity of culture, language, and heritage. The Black Awareness Association would like to take a moment to recognize that Culture Rich Conversations is broadcast from Flinket Ani. We acknowledge those families who made use of this land and waterways for thousands of years and still cherish it as an important part of their way of life. For today and future generations. Gunalschish, thank you. I'm Christina Michelle. I'm joined today by my guest, Boogie from Harlem, New York, who's now living in Juneau. Welcome, Boogie. Thanks for having me. So excited that you're here. And how are you enjoying Juneau? I know it's still new to you. Yes, I'm enjoying myself. Um, I never thought that I would be here, but I'm loving every minute of it. Quite a difference from New York, right? Yes, big difference. All right. Well, I'm excited that you're going to have this conversation with me today because I would love to get your perspective on these hot topics in the Black community, especially coming from New York, especially when we get to the part about hip hop. I'm looking forward to that. Yes. All right. So first, we're going to talk about Beyonce's Renaissance Tour. Um, Just in case you haven't heard, Beyonce is on tour right now, and her show has been getting a lot of buzz because people are just blown away by it. It's been called the spiritual revival America needs right now. According to Pop Buzz, on May 10th, Beyonce's highly anticipated Renaissance World Tour began in Stockholm. The critically acclaimed show has an epic 31-song set list featuring tracks from Renaissance alongside many of Beyonce's biggest hits. Not to mention there are glimpses of Beyonce's unreleased Renaissance visuals, incredible set pieces, choreography, and outfits. Okay, so let's get into it. What seems to be the biggest surprise about Beyonce's tour so far? Me, um, is that uh, anyone's uh, able to afford a ticket? <laughs> so um, um, I don't know. Uh, my son actually made it out to one of uh, one of the concerts in Raleigh, and I wonder how he paid for it. You know, because it's been um, very expensive, but um, I'm just surprised about it. And a lot of other people I know are able to make it out to the show. And that's that's good. Yeah, I was reading an article where somebody said that she spent upwards of twenty four hundred dollars in total, not just on a ticket, but her travel, her hotel, the ticket. Okay, I got nervous. (laughs) (laughs) 
But as we know, Beyonce has a very strong tribe and lots of people are willing to spend that money to see her. And probably for good reason. I've never been to a Beyonce experience, but um, just from what I've seen online of uh, footage from her tour, everything is just over the top. It's classic Beyonce. I mean, the stage is amazing. The set is amazing. Her entrance, she comes from out of the, like, she comes from, like, nowhere really she just appears from the earth like and rises up into the stage and she's wearing all of these elaborate beautiful outfits and her hair is waist length and blonde and blowing in the breeze and I mean it's just beautiful um not to mention um her vocals and um also there's a couple of surprises uh, that she had throughout the show it's two and a half hours which is a long time and uh, I know the concerts I've been to, I don't, it, it's hard for an entertainer to keep that many people engaged for almost three hours, but Beyonce does it effortlessly. So in my opinion, I say it's like a Broadway production because it's like a play and a musical concert and a fashion show all in one. I kind of thought of it as like the modern day, like Michael Jackson type of thing. You know, um, I think that's the reason why everyone's yeah. getting a ticket because it's, it's something you don't want to miss. Like if they have a chance to make it, you know, if they sell an organ or something, you know, take that opportunity <laughs> to, to, to do it because it's a once in a lifetime type of thing. And um, I don't know. I think it's great. Like for our time, like um, to have something so big um, because, you know, we, even though we were coming up, there was Michael Jackson, there was no way we could get it. We could have gotten a ticket to a show. So I just, I think that's good for our time. I agree. And both Michael Jackson and Beyonce, first of all, they're both Virgos and they are both known for being perfectionist and being the best at their craft. And um, people just want to be be involved with everything that they do and want to experience it. And I know that a lot of people say that after going to a Beyonce concert, they want to be the best version of themselves because she just inspires people on a higher level. And I think that's really beautiful. And another great thing is um, Amari Marshall. So one thing that jumped out at me immediately, I was not familiar with who Amari uh, Marshall was, but she is a, a dancer and she's on the Renaissance World Tour with Beyonce. And she is a plus size dancer, which I thought was amazing. I mean, Lizzo has paved the way for plus size women on the dance floor. Um, or on the stage, I should say. Um, and to see Beyonce ha also has a plus size dancer. So I was like, she has a fupa. Like she's right. and I, she's out there doing her thing. I think that's and, dope too. I think that's really dope. I mean, it's a spectrum of women, you know, and um, absolutely, it's good to see that the other side of the spectrum is getting there. They do, you know. Absolutely. So let's see. Um, what do we think um, has been some of the criticism about her tour? If well, I'll say that I have heard, um, which is not necessarily just about the Renaissance tour, but that she has secret hidden messages throughout. Like there's <laughs> all right. So of course you can't see it, but there was just a heavy eye roll there coming from uh, Boogie. <laughs> sorry, I'm pretty sure they felt that. Um, you know, there's people are gonna hate. You know, and. 
I think she's always been a good light, you know, you know, even since she was younger and people will find something, you know, you can heal the world and people will try to find something to complain about or make up about you or, you know, or try to exploit your, your flaws. So I just think that that's one of those things, like you can never be too perfect to people and they, they want to shut you down for some reason. And I think that's just one of the things they, she's always been a good light. I agree with that. So the other thing is Beyonce's daughter, Blue Ivy, is making um, headlines. She made her debut by performing alongside her mother during a portion of the show. So what do we think of her being there in the first place, as well as her performance? She got jeans, you know, she has the (laughs) performance jeans and, you know, both of her parents are well-known artists. So... I think she's taking a cue from her father and just maybe she sees something in her daughter and she wants to put her on stage and just make sure that she's ready or that if she has the talent that she, you know, that um, she actually is ready to perform it. Because, you know, everyone who has the talent, they don't get the chance to get up there and do what they want to do. And sometimes they're not ready, even though they have the talent and someone can give them a chance, but they're just not ready to do it. So I just think that she's kind of taking a cue from her father and just really grooming her and just getting her ready to be in the spotlight. She's 11. Do you think that that's too young to be in the spotlight on the level that she is right now? No, I think all of us would have wanted to be stars at 11. You know, all of us would have wanted to do what we love to do around that age. And she's in a perfect setting, meaning like her parents are filthy rich she has access to everything. And if any child in this world was going to be ready, that's that's going to be one at, <laughs> at 11 years old. So I think that's just what it is. Yeah, that's cool. And I know that she's had a lot of coaching from an early age. She's had confidence and self-esteem coaching. And uh, so this is, you know, probably right in line with that. She's been being prepared from a very young age. And I think that she's doing beautifully. Um, you know, she's she's the principal for most of her time on the stage. Like if if Beyonce is not on the stage, then she's like front and center, which I think is like that's crazy to hold that at 11. Um, and I noticed she's also accompanied by Amari. Amari's always like right there to the right. So it's like, you know, she's not she's not out there by herself quite yet. But I think it's I think it's pretty cool. It's the next level of like bring your daughter to work day. Right. But I mean, like. <laughs> For the 10th power, look at the volume that Beyonce brings. And then to be 11 years old and still perform in front of people, that many people. And, yeah. you know, you got to say that there's some type of talent there. There's courage. And sometimes that's all you need to to get that foot up. Absolutely. Well, Beyonce was quoted in a virtual commencement speech for the class of 2020 saying, don't talk about what you're going to do and don't just dream about what you're going to do. Don't criticize somebody else for what they're not doing. You do it. Be about it. Be about that action and go do it. And it sounds like she is practicing what she preaches. Absolutely. 
If you're just tuning in, I'm here with Boogie, and we're discussing September hot topics in Black culture. So far, we've covered Beyonce and her current Renaissance tour. So up next, let's talk about this year, the uh, hip-hop celebration of for the 50th anniversary, the 50th anniversary of hip hop is what we're celebrating. Yeah. <laughs> so back in August of 1973, the elements of hip hop emerged. Merriam-Webster defines hip hop as a cultural movement associated especially with rap music. However, many believe it's more than that. The CEO of AllHipHop.com describes hip-hop as not just about rap music, but rather music that gives a voice to the voiceless. That's deep. Yes, yes. And people don't know there's two different things, really. You know, um, rap is what you're doing, and hip-hop is an actual culture. You know, so it's made up of a couple of different elements. Um, There's DJing. There's breaking, which is dancing, um, graffiti, and there's emceeing. Okay. So you, um, a lot of people d- don't really understand that. And Africa Bambata, back in 73, 74, he, um, he was a leader in the streets. Basically, he was in the, um, in the gang culture, and he, he was a writer, actually. And he had a chance to go to Africa, and he had some type of epiphany after that and came back. And united the gangs in New York and just um, came up with this concept, the Zulu Nation. And everyone came together and they stopped the violence and they took everything into DJing and um, breakdancing and graffiti and made a culture of peace, love and joy and having fun. So if you wasn't doing that, you had you had nothing to do with hip hop. And they and this was a movement for years and years until it went commercial. So um, rap is what they what you're doing, and hip hop is when you align yourself with the culture and you keep and you and you stay with that. So, and growing up, me, I, this is a great subject for me because I because I grew up in Harlem, and you know some of my older brothers they were born earlier in the seventies. And so they got a chance to get a, a the first view of hip hop. And when I was born in the seventies as well, so later in the seventies, so um, I consider myself a b boy. Like I, I was break dancing, I did the graffiti, and I did, you know, a DJ. Um, and I, I feel like I encompass the culture of of hip hop, you know. And um, I'm glad that it's survived so long. And uh, we're doing, we're making strides, even though um, a lot of people think that it's dead or, you know, the culture is dead. I think that there's a lot of ways that it's staying alive and we see it every day in every type of music. So I love the rap is what you're doing. Hip hop is aligning yourself with the culture. And it makes me think of Brown Sugar. Have you seen that movie? Yes. Samal Lathan? Absolutely. Okay. So if if uh, you're listening and you haven't seen the movie Brown Sugar, it is a really good one to check out. It's a little older. I think it came out in the early 2000s. And it's um, it has Tay Diggs and Sana, um are the, the lead actors in it. And Queen Latifah. And most deaf, most deaf. Mm-hmm. How could yep, I forget yep. most deaf? I wasn't gonna let you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's set in 
Queens, Harlem, the Bronx, like in yeah, the Bronx, in, yeah, in different different stages of hip hop. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Oh, and it has um, Boris Kujo in Who's there that? as well. No, the- <laughs> <laughs> And his beautiful wife. Um, I mean, it's just like it, it's a star studded and um, hip hop packed, really cool movie. Um, and it's kind of a rom-com. But in the movie, Sanaa Lathan, she's a journalist. And every interview she starts off with, tell me when you fell in love with hip hop. And so I think it's just a really beautiful tribute to hip hop. And if you get a chance to then check that movie out. Um, so you mentioned an artist. um, Africa Bambata? Yes. Okay, let's see if we can find a little clip of uh, his music to play. Rocking out here in the studio. <laughs> Almost got lost for a second. I'm some cardboard. I was going to start breakdancing in here. <laughs> so, um, Boogie, can you share a little bit um, about how hip hop influenced you growing up? And I know you mentioned already, like being a b boy and um, and all of those things. And I'm I'm particularly interested because I was born in the '80s, but I grew up here in Juneau and I could not listen to hip hop. I couldn't listen to R and B or rap, like nothing like that. And so, um, probably, I don't want to say at the height of hip hop, but I guess in the earlier years and as it was emerging, I missed a lot of that music. And it wasn't until I was 16 and got my own car that I could listen to what I wanted to. (laughs) And still secretly, like I, you know, my friends would slip me mixtapes because like they would just make them for me because I didn't even know who was good to listen to. Um, So, yeah, I I missed that in my uh, in my younger years. Um, But, yeah, I would like to hear more from you about how hip hop influenced you. Okay, well, um, for uh, a lot of us, hip hop is like a voice. Um, a lot of um, a lot of us were we didn't have money back then or a way. Like some of the three, the three guys that really started hip hop was Grandmaster Flash, uh, Africa Bambada, and you got Cool Herc. Okay, so Cool Herc was from Jamaica. Um, he couldn't find work. You know, he was a mechanic and, um, Africa Bambada was a writer and, um, who also couldn't find work, you know, who couldn't imagine himself working anywhere, you know, writing and, um, Grandmaster Flash, who was an electrician, a certified electrician, you know, and some of the things, what he did was he, he basically, you know, that the toggle for the fader, he made that. 
but does not own a patent. So he doesn't get paid from all of these companies. Some of the things you look at on the mixing board, like those were his ideas. And he made this thing. He made these things and he gave he made them for the community and passed them out and said, this is our way. And if you think about it, these three people did something that no one in the world was doing. So I grew up in the in the church mostly. You know, the church was our way. You know, in some in some cases, when you don't have any money, that's where you you know everyone goes to church. Period. Uh, but things were happening in the streets that wasn't talked about in church, and you couldn't talk to your parents about it and things like that. But hip hop gave us a way. We would go in the corner before school start. And we would rap and we would all try to rap and we would all be, you know, trying to freestyle out there. And we're all just talking about what goes on when we go home or school and things that happens on the way home and stuff like that. So um, that was a, an outlet when it came to breakdancing. That was a way we challenged each other. We didn't fight all the time. It was a dance battle back then, you mm-hmm. know. So and for us, me and my older brothers, it was a way to make money. So we would break dance. We would practice at night and then we would go to the school. And then I was the littlest. So I was a secret weapon. I would just sit there <laughs> and they would be uh, <laughs> my brothers would be, you know, dancing or battling somebody. And then I would come in and I would start. I was very gifted as a child, as a, as a break dancer. You know, you could probably see it if you see me dance as, you know, as an adult. But um it was a way to make money. If people threw nickels and, you know, quarters at us when we would, you know, whoever won, they could pick up all the change. You know what I mean? And so we, it was just a way, you know, yeah. and I think it for for everyone who was involved, especially earlier on in the years, I think it, it that's the way they saw it. You know, I was, I'm not going to be a businessman. I'm not going to make it as a mechanic, but I can do this. I'm, I can be an MC. I can go out to the park charge 25 cents for everybody to get in and then we could do this every week and move it and then see how this worked for us and that's how it started so thank you so much boogie sorry i could talk about that (laughs) well we are going to continue this conversation in just a moment i'm christina michelle and i'm here with boogie we're having a discussion about the hottest topics in black culture this month and um We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to also hear a little clip by Sugar Hill Gang. We'll be right back.
said a hip the hip the hip it of a hip hip hop you don't stop but rock it out baby bubba to the boogity bang bang the boogie to the boogity beat now what you hear is not a test i'm rapping to the beat and me the groove and my friends are gonna try to move your feet you see i am wonder mike and i like to say hello up to the black to the white the red and the brown the purple and yellow but first i gotta bang bang the boogie to the boogie say up jump the boogie to the bang bang boogie let's rock you don't stop rock the rhythm and i'll make your body rock well so far you've heard my voice but i brought two friends along and next on the mic is my man hank come on hank sing that song check it out when i'm pimp the dimp the ladies pimp Welcome back to Culture Rich Conversations. I'm Christina Michelle. Before we went to break, I was here with Boogie and we were just talking about the hottest trending topics in black culture right now. And one of them is the 50th year anniversary of hip hop. So you just heard um, Rapper's Delight by Sugar Hill Gang. Yes. Yes. So before we went to break, Boogie was sharing about how hip hop influenced um, him as he was growing up. And Boogie, I know, as you said, you could go on and on and talk to us for days about this, but we only have a little more time. Oh, <laughs> so God. close us out on this on this topic. OK, well, I'll close out with the uh, sh- the, the evolution, basically. So you have the Sugar Hill Gang, and then there was Sugar Hill Records, right? Um, one of the interns for Sugar Hill Records was a man named Russell Simmons. Oh, yes. Yes. So Russell Simmons, um, you know, he got together and started his own label. And then here you go with Run DMC, you know, Curtis Blow, and they started signing everyone. So, And that's a big start of the hip-hop that we know of today. You know, um, the uh, Run DMC, LL Cool J era, Kumo D. So, yes, that was just one little tidbit about Sugar Hill and Sugar Hill Records. So, yeah, (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Up next, let's talk about... Um, how this week we watched 19-year-old tennis star Coco Goff win big in the U.S. Open. Yes, Yay! yes. Many people had a lot to say about the speech she gave upon winning. Some thought it was brave, while others thought it was immature and childish. What? Right. So... Um, when I heard the speech, I was. it's kind of like what we're talking about with the um, band books by black authors that you hear banned and you you go to read it and you're expecting something like crazy and that's how I felt listening to her speech and I just there was what was there to criticize <laughs> like I can't believe that people found something to hate on about her speech I think a lot of it started like at the French Open like um you know and when she went off on the ref um mm. And um, I guess that may have started, you know, a little something about that. And people, some people don't understand how um, someone can use hate to, to, you know, to encourage them to make them stronger. And um, I could see why they would try to, to try to change that around and make it look like it's something negative, but. She explained it well. And when I listened to it, it didn't sound negative at all. It was it was like, I need you to keep fueling me, you mm-hmm. know. So um, I don't think she 
you know, she said anything negative. She asked, she thanked them. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't get it sometimes, you know. I don't get it either. And for those who may not be familiar, Coco Goff is poised to become one of the biggest stars in American sports, picking up the mantle from Serena Williams as the defining player of her generation. She's the fourth American teenager to win a major title in the Open era and youngest American U.S. Open champion since uh, Serena Williams won as a 17 year old in 1999. And in her acceptance speech or interview. I don't know what we would call it, but um, there's a couple things. Um, she thanks her team, her her support system, so her family, um, her peers, and everybody who's helped her uh, get to where she is in her career so far. Um, she called out her dad for crying, which a mm. lot of people had a lot to say about that. Um and, uh, you know, I didn't think that there was anything wrong with it, but she did. She said, this is the first time I ever saw my dad cry. And you can see the dad and he's given the yeah. like, cut it, like no, no. <laughs> I would have did the same thing. I'm like, nah, now you're going to tell everybody to? No. And then she said to those who thought you were putting water on my fire, you were adding gas to it. And I'm burning so bright now. And so for some reason, she got a lot of, of um lashing back about that and you know i don't know why but it may be sometimes um you know people when they see somebody who's so young doing their thing there's almost like this how dare you mm. also also have the audacity <laughs> to speak up for yourself and to thank your haters um, i mean i don't know and reading the comments and things like that on youtube there were a lot of people who were like, oh, baby girl, where are your haters? Like, who's hating on you? So she has a, a strong online community, if nothing else. And I think sometimes when a woman, like, speaks out, sometimes yeah. I think people really, um, they don't want women to have an opinion or anything mm. against something. You know, they always, someone is always trying to, you know, have a negative a negative thought about that. And um, I I just, her winning is, is enough for me. You know, that's all she really needed to say. But um, I think that she, she, she held that interview very well. And to get that check when women, um, women weren't getting paid fairly. Right. Um, and having the representatives there and everyone fighting for her and fighting for women, period, I think was great. I think it was a good moment in tennis and black history. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So we are going to move on to the new series, The Other Black Girl. So it premiered this week and there's been quite a lot of commentary in the black community about this book turned TV series. The Other Black Girl is a psychological thriller based on the book with the same name. So a couple questions. Um, I guess my first impression of this series is, um, well, first of all, I'm very excited about it. I'm looking forward to uh, to watching all of it. Um, and I don't want to say too much. That's why I'm kind of hesitating right now, because I don't want to do any spoiler alerts for those who want to watch it. But um I think the biggest thing that stood out to me 
is from the very beginning, you see the lead character and she's got this mini fro. And it's that's something it's it's natural. And she's in the workplace. And the whole thing is about her being the only black woman in this uh, in her uh, at her job, her place of employment. And then eventually there's another which is it's which is why it's called the other black girl. Eventually there's another black person who starts working there. Um, but initially you see her with her fro and she's, you know, rocking the natural look. And then people at her job are kind of like asking her to get the coffee. And mm. asking- <laughs> <laughs> this is not funny. <laughs> Right. This is why you have to watch it, like because because it really is telling the story of the microaggressions that women of color are experiencing in the workplace, but they're doing it in a way that's like it's subtle, but it's right in your face at the same time. You're just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. Um, so that's happening in the beginning, and then um, there's this moment where she's like walking down the hallway and it's like the wall. I I don't know if they call it the wall of white men, but that's basically what it is. It's just like the hallway um, wall is lined with all of these pictures of like the founders of the company, the owners, the people in power, and they're all white men and they look nothing like her. So then there's a whole message that's being sent there. Um, So basically there's a lot of talk going on in the black community about this series and, um, you know, just the how relatable it is to a lot of of women. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about uh, maybe not obviously from a women's perspective, but just um, from uh, a person of color, like experiencing like microaggressions and things like that in the workplace. I don't know. Like, um, I don't get much (laughs) aggression (laughs) of any type you know just I guess because of the way I look or my stature but um subtle subtle yes I can I do uh, I do feel it sometimes but I don't I don't let it bother me you know I'm I, I let my work speak for itself you know I'm always not worried about what anyone is thinking around me um, you'll see that I belong here. You know, if you give me 10 seconds, you'll see that I belong here. And I, I don't, I, yeah, I don't let what anyone says bother me or feel, you know, I don't let it bother me at all. Nice. Well, it is a psychological thriller. And so there's going to be some drama coming up. Uh, and I am here for it. And maybe in the next hot topics, we'll uh, get deeper into the conversation but so far they haven't given us the whole story yet but uh, if you can access it find the series the other black girl and uh, we'd love for you to share what your thoughts and comments are um, on the show with us as well all right so there is one last topic that is trending in the black community and it is Shirley Strawberry's husband <laughs> I've been telling everyone that I've been watching all a part of those jail those jail tapes and it's had me in a chokehold okay I've wait really let's, been watching it let's back up and say who Shirley Strawberry is 
So um, I'll say how I know her and you can probably elaborate. I'm sorry, okay. know of her. But back when I lived in California, um, Shirley Strawberry used to be on the radio every single day. And she was part of Steve Harvey's morning show. Yes. OK. And I think she gave advice, right? Yes. OK. Yes. So I would go to work every single morning listening to Shirley Strawberry's like strong sound advice. Yes. The strawberry letter is it's called the strawberry letter. So The strawberry letters. Yes. 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 And then fast forward. um, to now, Shirley Strawberry's estranged husband is incarcerated at the Atlanta Fulton County Jail um, on charges for gun possession, theft, fraud, um, and some other things that I'm not sure if I can say on the air. Pretty so, <laughs> period. Williams is serving a 23-month prison sentence. He's also charged with operating a credit card repair scam alongside his alleged mistress, Erica King. Yes. So, yes. yes. Tell us what we've heard in these tapes that were leaked from his prison conversations that everybody is all abuzz about. I think... Um a lot of people are just taken off guard because of his mannerisms, the way he talk, the way he speaks is it's very contrary to who she is. Like it's really different from who she, and what she is and what she represents. Um, uh, I can see, I really can't, I, I can't see where she could have, let this guy come into her life and just destroy it. You know, um, uh, they've taken away most of her things and, um, and like ruined her name and leaking the tapes period was pretty bad. I mean, those are personal conversations, but not really. They're public as well. You know, you're not supposed to say things on those calls that you don't want anyone to hear because they can be leaked. So, um, I just think because she was in a position that she's never been before with some and, and, you know, most of us have never been in a predicament where we were in love with someone and had to call them in a, you know, in jail. Right. So she's just caught up, really. And it's pretty bad. I like the way she's handling handling it, but it's it's been pretty bad because some of her conversations have leaked about um, Steve Harvey and his mar marriage. Or his wife. Yeah. yeah. Marjorie, yes. So. And that was a pretty bad situation too. So it's super cringy. I feel bad for her though. I feel <laughs> bad. I feel really bad for her. But when I hear him talking, I'm like, why couldn't you see it? Like, I'm like, why? I, I mean, I when I hear his voice, I'm like, this guy does not sound like a good guy. I don't know. I just get a vibe. But it's there's eleven parts to the jail tapes. <laughs> if you got a little bit of time. Just go ahead and start part one and whatever you thought you was going to do the rest of the day, you can forget about it. You know, you're going to be locked in. You know, oh, man. Yeah. And he has I mean, he's talking to other people, other female, another female, you know, and it's very um, it looks very bad for him. You know, it just looks really bad. And right now, um, I know right now she's filed for divorce, you know, so I heard this. She's he's her estranged husband so you know right yeah and i was wondering because i haven't heard all 11 um, of the tapes but in the beginning it sounded like she was super loyal and um, i don't know where that changed obviously yeah. as 
as it leaked. Ride or die went awry. Yeah, ride or die went awry. So, yes. But, I mean, but the further on through the tapes, you know, she's still holding on. You know, she has a strong religious, you know, background and she's telling him to pray and she's telling him, you know, you know, you know, God's going to fix this. But, I, you know, I guess he does, but um, not in the way you, that you want all the time, you know, so you're going to get exactly what you asked for. So, <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's my take on it, and I can't wait for the. Um, I didn't listen to number eleven. I just saw. Are you that. like holding on to it? Is uh, it like yeah, the yeah, end yeah, of yeah, a good yeah, book yeah, yeah. where you I, don't <laughs> want it to end? I ran out of popcorn. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get. Some, <laughs> I gotta get a good snack to watch this one. But oh yes. wait, wait, wait! Somebody posted bail or something like that in the amount of like eighty thousand dollars. Anonymous, an anonymous person. Okay, yes, and but was the, it the was it was it Steve Harvey or was it the mistress? I don't know, but the the problem was that he couldn't get that bail. He has so many charges that once that 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 didn't even go through. Like oh, that man. was just a the first preliminary part of it. But once someone heard of that, they were like, "Nope, this nope, <laughs> keep him right there. We we got more." So uh, yeah. Well, if you're just joining us, I'm Christina Michelle, and I'm here with Boogie, and we are having a conversation about hot topics in Black culture. And right now, we were just talking about Shirley Strawberry, who uh, is a TV personality. She started off as a radio personality many years ago with Steve Harvey, and her estranged husband is now in quite a bit of trouble. So if you want to know more about that, you can uh, just look up... Shirley Strawberry's husband. That's pretty much what's what's Jail trending. <laughs> Jail, Jail tapes, tapes part one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. So we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation. And also, I wanted to play a little bit of Beyonce, um, just in honor of her Renaissance tour that she's on. And we talked about that in the first segment. Um, so we'll do that now. And we'll be right back. Nobody else to impress. The way that you know what I gotta do. 
Welcome back to Culture Rich Conversations. I'm Christina Michelle. Today in Black History, we celebrate American rapper Nas. Born Nasir Jones on September 14th in 1973 in Queens, New York, Nas is regarded as one of the greatest rappers of all time. His albums have received 15 Grammy Award nominations, and in 2021, he won the Grammy Award for Best Rap Album for his album entitled King's Disease. Nas has given us 16 albums that tell the story of Black culture from his own life and Black-lived experience. He also starred in 13 movies as well. Nas has been praised for his ability to create a devastating match between lyrics and production by journalist Peter Shapiro, as well as creating a potent evocation of life on the street. Writer Adam Bradley states Nas is perhaps contemporary rap's greatest innovator in storytelling. Nas has introduced a style of rap music that is more controversial and conversational, and his style has been described as intimate and effervescent. It is easy to see the enormous impact Nas has had with regards to not just rap music, but music as a whole. His influence in Black culture is clearly recognizable when you look at the way musicians tell their stories today. So, Boogie... We know yes. that Nas is from Queens and you're from Harlem. And, you know, I'm just wondering if you know Nas. No, I don't. <laughs> Not personally. No, I don't. I don't know him. But he is one of the major figures in New York um, when it comes to hip hop. Um, you conscious rap is, is what he what mm. he does. And he's a conscious artist. So like a lot of the the artists that you hear nowadays, they won't be able to hold the candle to someone like Nas because he, his father was a blues player. Um, and he just like the music is in him, you know, and the story is in him. And he has his first, uh, one of his first album, like Illmatic. If, if you don't know Nas and you go back and listen to Illmatic, some of this, the struggle is in there. And the the awareness is in there and not just what's going on, but what we need to do to move on and get out. Like if you hear a lot of the songs that went commercial, like if I rule the world mm -hmm. and things like that, I talk about how like how people sit around on the corner and we think about just in our minds, how could we make things better around here and f for everyone who lives here? So um, he's revered in, in, in the hood. Basically, and he is um, I, I'm glad that he recovered from financial, you know, financial struggles and he is being, you know, recognized even to today. So he is the evolution of rap. You know, a lot of the things that we talked about today, he is really one of the guide on bearers for, for, for rap and hip hop and the culture. OK, let's see if we can hear a little clip of some music by Nas. Yeah, yeah. Yo, black, it's time. Bird, bird, it's time. It's time, man. All right, begin. Yeah, 
Straight out the fucking dungeons of rap. We're fake against don't make it back. I don't know how to start this. Rappers are monkey flipping with the funky rhythm. I be kicking, musician, inflicting composition. A pain, I'm like Scarface sniffing. They holding the instant me. See, with the pen, I'm extreme. Now, illusion holes left in my peak holes. I'm suited up with street clothes. Hand me and I'm in out defeat foes. Y'all know my stilo, with or without the airplay. I keep some E and J sitting bent up in the stairway. I either on a corner betting grants with the CeeLo champs. Laughing at big sets, trying to sell some broken amps. G packs get off quick forever. Reminiscing about the last time the task force flipped So can be running through the block shooting Time to start the revolution Catch a body half for Houston Once they caught us off guard The best man was in the grass And I ran like a cheetah with thoughts of an assassin Picked up and got two brothers back up The man spit and that was hit It's like one ran I made a backflip Heard a few chicks scream My arms shook, couldn't look Gave another squeeze, heard it click Yo, my shit is stuck Tried to cut it, it wouldn't shoot Now I'm in danger Finally it back and saw three pillow caught up in the near spot. So now I'm jetting to the building lobby. And it was full of children, probably couldn't see us. Now I'm It's like the game ain't the same. Got young and pulling the tickets, bringing fame to the Welcome back to Culture Rich Conversations. I'm Christina Michelle. Today we have been having a lively conversation about the trending black topics in um, or the trending topics in black culture. We talked about the Renaissance tour that Beyonce is on right now, and we also discussed Coco Goff in her recent victory, and we discussed the Other Girl, which is a new series series that you can find uh, streaming online and the 50th anniversary of hip hop, as well as the scandal with Shirley Strawberry and her husband and those tapes that you can Google and uh, listen to in your free time if you really, truly (laughs) don't have anything else to do. Joining me today has been Boogie uh, here from Harlem, New York. Boogie, I really, really appreciate you joining uh, into the conversation today. It's been great. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Yeah. And can you tell us um, a little bit about how we where we may see you around town? (laughs) (laughs) If anybody wants to connect with you, like invite you to be part of Juno's hip hop scene, whatever that may look like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, You can catch me at any karaoke event. Um, I'm going to start going to open mic nights. So you'll see me out there. But um, everywhere there's a karaoke event here in Juno, so it's a very small place. So we definitely will, if anyone wants to link, um, they will definitely see me. Yeah, so karaoke's big on Wednesdays and Fridays and Saturdays. So a couple places in the Valley on the weekends and downtown on Wednesdays. So... All right. Well, the last thing I wanted to share is the uh, next book that we're going to be reading as part of our banned books by Black authors. So we are going to uh, have The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison up next. Um, The Bluest Eye, published in 1970, is the first novel written by Toni Morrison. 
The novel takes place in Lorain, Ohio, and tells the story of a young African-American girl named Pecola who grew up who grew up following the Great Depression. So we are looking forward to it. And in a few weeks, we'll be back with a discussion on that book. And we would love for our listeners to join us in reading it and uh, giving us your feedback and just being part of that whole conversation. Well, we appreciate you for listening today. And we look forward to hearing any feedback that you have about our show. Our email address is junobaa at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook by searching BAA Juno. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 33734, Juno, Alaska 99803. Today's show was produced by Natasha Boozer. Until next week, may your life be blessed and flow with ease. I'm Christina Michelle, and this has been Culture Rich Conversations. Culture Rich Conversations is underwritten by Mark Stofa and Sarah Hannon, celebrating Juno's diversity of culture, language, and heritage. You're listening to Culture Rich. Culture Rich.